In Matthew chapter 6, we have Jesus recorded saying these words. Right before these words, he's uh, expounded on what he summarizes here in, in some detail. Most of you will be familiar with that. But this is how he wraps up uh, this part of what he's saying in, in the sermon. He says, so do not consume yourselves with questions. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Outsiders make themselves frantic over such questions. They don't realize that your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you too. So do not worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Living faithfully is a large enough task for today. I want, and tonight I wanna to talk about the discipline of simplicity. Uh, this is a weird one for me to talk about because it is one of my natural strengths. Um, I'm just kind of a simple person in a lot of ways. I don't need a lot of stuff. I don't uh, thrive on being busy. Um, some people do. I don't. Uh, I, the car I drive, we bought before we moved here in 2004. It was made a few years before that. It's made before Aiden was born. When we bought it, we put him in a car seat in it, and he's about to start driving it in two weeks. Um, this is not me bragging. I'm cheap. I don't like to spend money. This is not, I was not born holier than you, and I haven't made myself holier than you. It's just how I am. Um, and, uh, and I don't like to be going 100 miles an hour all the time. And so I'm an Enneagram 5, I'm an INTJ, whatever you want to attribute it to, I am a simple sort of person. So it should be easy for me to stand up and talk about simplicity and sort of shake my finger about how everybody should be simpler like me. The reality is I feel more conviction in some ways about uh, my struggle, my family's struggle uh, for simplicity when it should be so easy because there are so many forces acting against that, some of them from within and some of them from without. Had an example of that this week. I was talking to uh, a high, one of my best friends from high school on the phone. We don't talk that often, but uh, another friend of ours from high school lost his mom real suddenly last Sunday, and so we were talking. Um, and he was describing to me his family's life right now. And he has kids similar age to mine, um, to ours, and his kids are in like three or four extracurricular activities at the same time, each of them. And so he's describing what that's like to me. And there's a little bit of self-righteousness sort of creeping into my brain because Amy and I decided a while back our kids can only be in one extracurricular activity at a time. Um, in part to keep some simplicity in their lives and in, in the life of our family. But just as that started to creep in, I remembered all of the things that Amy had added to our family calendar for the week because our girls, one extracurricular activity is dance. And uh, we are at the dance studio four days a week and during the nutcracker season, five days a week. So our effort, our sort of rule that we put in place for simplicity has, uh, I thought, one thing, great. Uh, I did never imagine that that one thing would consume so much of our, I'm thrilled that our girls love to dance and that they get to do that. But it's a challenge. It's a challenge for most of us in one way or another to hold on in the culture we live in with the things that are normal to us, to hold on to simplicity. And, and I think in order for us to take hold of that in the ways that I think the scriptures call us to, 
it requires discipline. It requires intentionality. And so I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. In Ecclesiastes, uh, it's written at one point that God made man simple. Man's complex problems are of his own devising. And I think fundamentally that's true. So I want to spend a few minutes tonight talking about ways that I think we're devising our own problems, our own complications, making our lives far less simple than, than they could be or should be, and some ways that we can, can return to the simplicity that God made us for. Um, Jesus tells a story at one point, and we call it the parable of the sower, and he talks about that when the gospel comes into our lives, when we hear God's truth, God's message, it has a different impact. It has, it, what happens for different people when it sort of lands on our heart is different in different circumstances. I'm not going to go through the whole parable, but I want us to look at what he says about the third kind of person um, when the seeds of the gospel land. He says, a third group hears the message, but as time passes, the daily anxieties, the pursuit of wealth, and life's addicting delights outpace the growth of the message in their hearts. Even if the message blossoms, never fully matures because the thorns choke out the plant's vitality. I think these words of Jesus, if we were to start diagnosing where we struggle with simplicity, but also this is, this is not just simplicity for simplicity's sake. This is us understanding the ways that I think God made us to hang on to some simplicity so that we can seek the kingdom first in the way that Jesus talks about, so that the anxieties and the things that we worry about and the things that drive us to fill our lives with all kinds of stuff get moved out of the way, that we become people who seek the kingdom first and simply build our lives around that. And I think the words of Jesus here in Luke 8 about this third group of people, the people who as time passes, the daily anxieties, the pursuit of wealth, and life's addicting delights outpace the growth of the message in their heart. I, th I think that is a struggle for many of us. I think we live in a time, in a place, in a culture where uh, more often than we want to be true, we're part of that third group. So I'm, I'm going to try to simplify this a little bit and, and talk when Jesus says that the message is outpaced, the growth of the message is sort of choked out by daily anxieties, the pursuit of wealth, and life's addicting delights. I want to break that down into kind of two categories of things, of, of problems that I think we have that make simplicity difficult for us. The first is money and security. And um, just in short, what I think happens here is we've sort of baptized our anxieties about money and our desire to have a certain level of material comfort. And when I say we've baptized that, I, I mean we found a way to, to sort of make it okay with God. And uh, we've justified prioritizing things that Jesus urged us not to prioritize. That he, is, he is plain spoken in many places when he talks about this part of our lives. But we've, we've justified, in one way or another, prioritizing things that Jesus just very simply says, don't let these things take a high priority in your life. And now we're bound to either chasing, 
if we don't have, or sustaining if we do have, a certain kind of financial security or material security for ourselves in a way that's, I, for me, even when I'm, especially when I'm dealing with my own heart as it relates to money and security, it's hard to reconcile that with the things that Jesus has to say about money and the kingdom. And it, the way that we have moved, the way that we have built our lives in this area almost requires us to take words like when Jesus says, seek the kingdom first before anything else and trust that all the things that you need that money can buy, God will give to you. The way that we've built our lives in this area makes us take words like that and turn them into a metaphor and, and act like he doesn't literally mean kingdom first, all of our material concerns second. That's some kind of metaphor to make sure that we don't get too greedy or whatever. And I don't think it's a metaphor. I think it's literal, but uh, it's hard for us to take it literally because of the way we built our lives. The second area is busyness and hurry. Most of us are not good at slowing down and believing that everything can be okay if we're not either doing something or entertaining ourselves. That's the gear that, those are the two gears that a lot of us over time have developed. We either have a gear where we're going and we're doing and we're accomplishing or we're keeping up with whatever we've got to keep up with, or we have a gear where we're entertaining ourselves, which is our way of coping with how much going and doing that we have to do. And we're not very good at functioning if we don't have busyness and hurry, if we don't have ourselves occupied in some way. University of Virginia not, not too long ago did a study where they, this is how it started, they exposed people to electric shock. These were, I assume this was a voluntary study. Um, but they exposed people to a kind of electric shock and they got it with each person to a level that the person said, I would rather that not happen again and I, will, I would actually pay money to keep that from happening again. So this is the beginning of the study. This is the level of shock that I would rather not happen again and I would pay, it's enough that I would pay money. Then they took those people, they put them in a room alone with no distractions, no diversions, nothing to do for 15 minutes and said, just sit peacefully with yourself um, for up to 15 minutes. Some people didn't make it 15 minutes, but up to 15 minutes and they gave them a button that they could shock themselves with that same level of shock if they so chose. What do you think happened? Two-thirds of the men, within 15 minutes, shocked themselves. <laughs> A quarter of the women, within 15 minutes, pushed the button to shock themselves. Aside from the obvious disparity in the intelligence of the genders... Uh, that is revealed in this particular study, I think it says something else that's sort of alarming. When all of the distractions were pulled away and people had a chance to just be quiet and be still and not have anything, uh, any forces acting on them, but the alternative was, well, this force can act on me. The, the level of force that they just said they would pay money to not have it happen to them again, they voluntarily shock themselves. They're so desperate for some sort of external stimulation that 
They shocked themselves. And even if you're sure that that wouldn't be you, I think it speaks to a sort of deeper sickness that affects all of us in, in some way, and that's an inability to really slow down and to be still and embrace simplicity. What's simpler than sitting still and sitting quiet, especially when we have so few opportunities for that in the way most of our lives are, are set up for a few minutes? And, and most of the men and a notable percentage of the women couldn't do it. And we don't need that study to know where that falls for us, how, how much difficulty a lot of us have with not having some sort of external stimulation, how easily we get bored, how short our attention spans have gotten, how much we feel like we need something more or something newer or something outside of us to occupy us. We're so enslaved to going and to doing. And we've, without intentionally doing it, we have accepted the world on its terms. We have uh, decided that we have to operate at that speed that the world says you have to operate and that we have to try to survive and we have to try to succeed in that game that the world plays. Whether that's chasing more or performing or accomplishing, and, and that's true even for, for, for us as Christians, for sort of trying to accomplish for God, we have a, a Christian version of this same thing, whether that's trying to make sure our kids are never bored and trying to make sure they get to do everything that the world says they're supposed to be able to do. And the kingdom is inviting us to be people of another way, to not run at that speed or have to be occupied in that way. Flannery O'Connor uh, said once to someone that she was giving advice to that you have to push as hard as the age that is pushing against you. And it's just true. The age is pushing against us in so many ways and demanding that we function in a certain way and at a certain speed. And we will not survive. It will win if we are not pushing as hard against that age as it is pushing against us. This has to be intentional. There has to be purpose and discipline to our efforts at simplicity. So I want to remind you, we're going to talk here in just a minute about some solutions to this, but I want to remind you of two things before I do that. This is the first thing, that the way of Jesus isn't a way for you to add heaven to the end of your pursuit of the American dream. We have a version of Christianity in this country and now all over the world that says that's essentially what the message of the gospel is. And it's just not true. I'm going to move on or I'll preach a whole sermon on that. Second thing I want to remind you of is Jesus is not a chaplain to your frenetic life overstuffed with all the things the world says you have to do. And this is the trap that we get in. We think, I have to do all these things. Jesus, help me. That's not who he is. <laughs> He's here to reformat the whole thing, not to just whisper encouragement in your ear when you have chosen a way other than his way. So I want to encourage you to remember these things as we talk about um, some ways that we can maybe, be, maybe solve these obstacles to simplicity that we have. Jesus is telling us to let go of those inferior and exhausting ways and to embrace his way, which is a way of simplicity. We've talked a lot over the last year about this idea that we want to be a church that's following Jesus and biblical community for the redemption of the world. And we've talked about the three parts of that. And as I was working on this sermon this week, it just 
continued to sink in for me that there's just no way that we can be people who prioritize these things if our life is full with a lot of other stuff. We surveyed our membership this week on some things. One of the most decisive answers on our survey, which wasn't surprising to us as elders and which we 100% agree with as elders, is that we have a lot of growing to do in the last part of this statement that we are people who are working for the redemption, who are joining God in the redemption of the world. And it's something I care a lot about. Uh, It's something I think about every day in some way. And my constant struggle is, where do I find time? And what's broken about the way that I'm living that I have to try to find time? And I'll just be honest with you as your pastor, when I read that feedback in the survey, I think it's a question that's gonna face a lot of us when we get intentional about pushing into that space. Do you have time for it? And if not, what, need, what do we need to simplify about our lives so that we really have time, okay? So let's talk about some ways that we can be different, that, that, we are, that we become people who are an alternative people who are seeking the kingdom first and not just people pretty much like everybody else who spend our money a little bit differently or who are a little more spiritual. I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he said seek the, seek the kingdom first. And I don't think we get where we need to get just by believing the right things. We have to pull back our actual lives, our routines, our days, our hours, and we have to be formed differently. Once our right beliefs are in place and the beliefs matter, our routines have to change to support those beliefs and to shape us toward those beliefs. So I want to suggest just sort of three broad areas that I think we can affect some change that will bring some simplicity to our lives. The first is this, we can add spiritual disciplines. We've spent the whole summer talking about this. There's a lot um, of helpful material. If you missed some of those sermons, I encourage you to go back to the website and listen to the podcast and listen to them. Um, There's a lot of helpful material about adding spiritual disciplines to our lives. And I think that can really help us begin to reorient toward simpler, toward simplicity, and toward the simplicity of seeking the kingdom first. For that simplicity to be sustainable, it has to be internal before it's external. We can't just change our day planner or change our calendar and expect to to see lasting change. There has to be an internal simplicity that we find before we see this played out in our lives. And spiritual disciplines, I think, are key to that internal transformation. They also help sort of nudge us toward that external change. And I think the external change matters. I don't think Jesus is only concerned with what's happening inside of us. I think he wants to see what's happening inside translate to what's happening in our actual days and lives. And so the second thing I want to suggest is that you find a way, starting now, to replace some of your busy and your hurry with simplicity. I'm not asking you to do it all at once. I'm suggesting find some ways that you can take that speed of the world and pull it out of your life and put some sim- something simpler in its place. Uh, Tish Harris Warren wrote a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. Some of you have probably read it. She says that we need to be reacquainted with the texture of silence and the rhythm of repetition. And so I, what, what I wanna encourage you to do is to, to look for the kind of default daily rhythms that are necessary to sustain the Christian life. And I think those are quiet things. 
and ordinary things. A lot of them are ancient things, uh, and they, are, they become patterns. They become repetitive. And I encourage you to pick up her book. Um, it is really helpful in thinking about very simple, very attainable ways uh, to kind of reformat yourself and replace some of what is just instinctive busyness and hurriedness in our lives with simplicity. And I want to suggest just a couple of, a few areas that you might consider in this, uh, in replacing some busyness with simplicity. Uh, do something, when you first wake up in the morning, do something that is quiet and non-digital, first thing. Before uh, you check Facebook, or Twitter, or Snapchat, or whatever the things are that pull you into the chaos of the world in the day, do something simpler when you first wake up, okay? Uh, second possibility, don't, fill, or don't always fill your car time with noise. We have access to so many thing inputs that uh, we are always multitasking. We have to have a law that tells us, please don't look at your and use your phone while you're driving now. This, I struggle with this too, so this is not me looking down my nose, but this is insanity, that we're so busy that we can't drive from one place to the other without looking at this device and doing things on it. Find some ways while you're driving. I'm not talking about not just texting and driving. Find some times when you're driving that you're not listening to podcasts or listening to music, that your kids aren't watching TV in the car. You ought to be able to be quiet and still in the car. You ought to be able to have real conversations with people when you're going from one place to the other, and so should your kids without having input and being entertained. One easy way to change the speed and replace some of the complexity with simplicity. There are a lot of others uh, that I suggest. I, I encourage you to go to people who live more simply than you, learn from them, and then ask yourself, am I happier and am I freer to seek the kingdom first than those people? And if not, what does that mean? about the level of simplicity in my life and what, what might need to change. All right, third suggestion is this. Reformat your habits and, and routines. So we can add spiritual disciplines. We can do some sort of piecemeal, piecemeal replacing of things. But I think at the end of the day, we have to find a way, if we kind of had a par, pie chart of our lives um, and it's occupied by, that, that represents time, how we spend our time, and we looked at what's really there and, and how much of it is going and doing and accumulating money and stuff and all of that. And we're just trying to sort of stamp a cross on top of that, leave the pie chart the same, but somehow put a cross on it. How do we go from that approach to a pie chart that looks different, that looks like, oh, it's actually filled in by kingdom first, and trusting that all these other things that are taking up the chart, God's going to give to me if I need them. I think um, we have to find ways to really reboot if this is a struggle for us. I can't tell you all how to do that. I don't have it all figured out for me or for my family. Um, and my circumstances are different than yours. But I do think... Um, we have to do it. And so I want to leave us tonight with a couple of questions that I want to challenge you with. First one is this. 
how many of our protests against the necessity and possibility of simplicity are at their root our refusal to believe that God will fill us and give us contentment even without the things we're chasing and filling our lives with? How many of the reasons that we give that we can't do this or that it's not that necessary are rooted in our lack of faith that God will, and when I say God will give, he may not give you the exact things that you're chasing right now, but whatever it is you're trying to fill in your life, he will fill, and probably in a much better way than you're gonna fill it with whatever you're chasing. That's the first question. Second question is this. How much of our busyness and chasing security is an inability to trust that Jesus has secured for us eternal goodness? So our pursuit of bigger and more and busier and better and more comfortable isn't actually necessary. Where do we need to believe more deeply in the gospel and in the resurrection and in the eternal implications of that? I don't have, one of the hardest things, just true confession for me, at 43 years old, with my kids now being about to be 16, 13, and almost 11, is I live in perpetual fear of not spending the years I have left, that Amy and I have left with them in our home in the right way. With us not packing in the right kind of goodness and then regretting it. I'm afraid of that. And I think about that every day. (laughs) At its root, that for me is a refusal to believe that God can handle that. If I seek his kingdom first in my home, if Amy and I seek, our kingdom, seek his kingdom first in our marriage with our kids, God will take care of those things. It is a lack of faith that the resurrection impacts all areas of life, that God has eternal goodness for me and Amy and our marriage and our family and our kids even when they're not in our home anymore. And I don't have to be afraid that I'm not going to pack enough goodness in. It's not up to me. It's a gift. What's up to me is that I seek God's kingdom first, believing that he will give me everything else that I need. And there's a simplicity in that that we are called to when we're called by the gospel. Let's pray. Father, Would you give us the courage to let go of the things that we need to let go of? That's where we lose this so often, is that it just feels so impossible to us to let go. We're convinced we have to have the things or we have to do the things, and we're scared of what will happen if we let go of what we know and what's normal. And so would you give us courage to open our hands? And then would you give us eyes to see what it means in our space, in our lives, to seek your kingdom first. And give us the guts to go to other people and say, come look at this part of my life and tell me what it looks like it's first and how we can change that if we need to change it. Let us see Jesus and know that we don't have to fear, that we don't have to rush, that we don't have to grab and accumulate, that we can trust you to give us what we need. As we do each week, we are gonna come and 
take communion. If you're here, you're invited to come and receive Jesus, to receive his gift of his whole self, which gave you life, 